Hi, Steve here. As we continue on in this series, you need to understand that not everyone who claims to be a Jew is truly a Jew. In Romans 2.29, the Apostle Paul, who was a Jew and a Christian, said, For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart by the Spirit, not the letter or the law of Moses. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. As you watch these videos and the history of this world, I want you to understand that because someone claims to be a Jew doesn't mean they really are a true Jew. And based on what Jesus said, you'll understand that that's a fact. In Matthew chapter eight, we see the account of a centurion and his request of the Lord. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony. He said to him, am I to come and heal him? Lord, the centurion replied, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. I tell you that many will come from east and west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus told the centurion, Go, as you have believed, let it be done for you and his servant was healed that very moment. Do you see who he is talking about here? The sons of the kingdom are the Jews who believe the old covenant of circumcision is all they need. And they're never truly a Jew inwardly by the circumcision of the heart. Like Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter three, you must be born again. And unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Basically, he was saying that the scribes and the Pharisees were no more righteous than we are without Christ. Jesus sent his angel to John, and in two separate messages, he said this to both the church in Smyrna and the church in Philadelphia. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Note this. I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and they will know that I have loved you. People may claim to be many things, but God knows what's in their mind and what's in their hearts. Jesus also said, you know the tree by the fruit that it bears. People say a lot of things, but if you're a liar, you'll see the fruit of a liar. If they are truthful, you'll see good fruit. If you'd like to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and have a relationship with the living God, go down to that link in the description box below. Click on that link, it'll take you to a page with a simple prayer. It's not hard and it's not complicated to become a child of the King. But you have to choose in your own mind and in your own heart. You have to make the choice. Think about it. The next goal for the elite was to finish off Christian Russia and from there launch an invasion of the rest of Europe. According to the State Department's documents, a group of Jews including Jacob Schiff, Felix Warburg, 
Otto Kahn, Mortimer Schiff, Isaac Seligman, already planned the overthrow of the Russian Tsar in 1916. They decided that Russia should be destroyed and a communist slave regime would be implemented. The fact that we will never learn in school is that communism actually was a Jewish totalitarian ideology invented by Jews, funded by Jewish bankers, and economically manifested by Jewish Bolsheviks as Vladimir Lenin, Trotsky, Kaganovich, Yagoda. The family of Tsar Nicholas II, his wife Alexandra, his daughters Olga, Tatiana, Maria, Anastasia, and his son and successor Alexei were devout Orthodox Christians. They exemplified everything that was precious in a traditional family. As a boy, Tsar Nicholas II had witnessed the assassination of the Tsar Alexander II by the Jewish terrorist Vera Figner, leader of a terrorist group called the People's Will. Tensions between the Jews and the Christian Russians started. Nicholas' great tragic mistake was in failing to execute the communist before it was too late after a failed 1905 revolution. Now, his kindness would return to haunt him and his family. The Bolsheviks forced the Tsar to abdicate. The Jew Alexander Kerensky was given one million dollars from the Jewish Wall Street banker Jacob Schiff to immediately free all political prisoners and lift the ban on political exiles to permit them to return to Russia. Revolutionaries quickly flooded in to any and all public offices. Anarchy began as criminals plundered houses and people were murdered and robbed. Jacob Schiff was chairman of the Kula Bank and an assistant of the Jewish Rothschilds. He took care of the contacts between the revolutionary movement in Russia and the Jewish Masonic Order, B'nai B'rith. On March 27, 1917, the Jews Jacob Schiff and Max Warburg sent Lev Davido Bronstein, better known as Trotsky, and his group of Jewish communists off to Russia to lead a Jewish revolution with no less than 20 million dollars in gold, today worth billions. Some 90,000 exiles, mostly Jews and Freemasons, returned from all over the world to infiltrate Russia. Most of them changed their Jewish names to blend into the European society better. Another banker who financed the revolution was the Swedish Jew Olaf Ashberg of the Nya Bank in Stockholm. Olaf's grandson, Robert Ashberg, is a former member of the Swedish Communist Party and today leader of the Zionist anti-white organization called Expo in Sweden. Trotsky recruited Russian Jews from the immigrant population of the Lower East Side of Manhattan and trained them as armed revolutionaries. Lenin, Marlow, Radek and Kamenev returned from Switzerland. Stalin, Sverdlov and Sinyonyev returned from Siberia. The Jewish chairman of the Central Executive Committee, Jacob Shvadlov, sent a message to the Jew, Jacob Jurovsky, head of the local Cheka, where he communicated that he had received orders from Jacob Schiff to eliminate the Tsar and his entire family. Shvadlov ordered Jurovsky to carry out this order. In the spring of 1918, the Tsar and his family were taken to Ekaterinburg in the Urals, where Jacob Jurovsky was given the mission to imprison, plan, and assassinate the imperial family. 
Jurovsky brought the Tsar Nicholas and his family to a house that previously had belonged to a wealthy Jewish merchant named Ipatiev. Nicholas' imperial family was abruptly woken in the middle of the night on July 17, 1918. When the Jurovsky told the imperial family to dress and then brought them to the basement, they were told that they were going to pose for a group photograph. But the Jewish assassins, Jurovsky, Nikolin, Jermakov, and Vaganov, had other plans in mind. Seconds later, Jurovsky then pulled out his revolver and aimed it straight at the Tsar's head and fired. Nicholas died instantly. Next, he shot Tsarina Alexandra as she made the sign of the cross. Olga, Tatiana, Maria, and Anastasia were shot next. The daughters were stabbed to death after the initial gunfire had failed to kill them. Their doctor and three servants were also murdered in cold blood. Items that were related to the imperial family were burned and destroyed. Nothing was saved of the family, even their dogs were slaughtered. News of the brutal murder of the Romanovs would send shockwaves throughout Russia and all of Europe. To some Jews though, the slaughter of the Romanov family was treasured as a Jewish ritual murder. In selected Jewish-owned shops, they sold greeting cards with images that were unavailable for Gentiles. The postcards carried the image of the Sadiq. This is an image of a rabbinical Jew with the Torah in his hand and a white fold in the other. The head of the depicted fold is clearly shown to be the Imperial Russian Tsar Nicholas II. Below this image is the inscription in Hebrew. This is a sacrificial animal, so is my cleansing. It will be my replacement in cleansing the victim. A bloody civil war between the Red Jews, led by Trotsky, and the White Christians, led by Admiral Kolchak, broke out before the Jews could grab full power of the Soviet powerhouse to set up their own Bolshevik totalitarian system. David R. Francis, U.S. ambassador to Russia, said in January 1918, the Bolshevik leaders here in Russia, most of whom are Jews and 90% of whom are returned exiles, care little for Russia or any other country but are internationalists and they are trying to start a worldwide social revolution. The Jewish role in the communist revolution was mentioned in many major Jewish publications such as the Jewish Encyclopedia and the Universal Jewish Encyclopedia and the Encyclopaedia Judaica. In fact, they are boasting about the essential role of the Jews in the Russian Revolution. The Jewish Chronicle said, There is much in the fact of Bolshevism itself, in the fact that so many Jews are Bolshevists, in the fact that the ideals of Bolshevism at many points are consonant with the finest ideals of Judaism. Of the 22 ministers in the first Soviet government, 17 were Jews. The few who were not themselves Jewish often were Freemasons, had Jewish wives, and spoke Yiddish. We can't know for sure if Stalin was Jewish, but at least he spoke Yiddish and had three Jewish wives. Some historians claim that Stalin was Georgian, and some say that he was a Georgian Jew. Los Angeles B'nai B'rith Messenger, for example, stated that Stalin was a Jew. Stalin's real name was Losif Vizarianovich Zhugashvili. The Jewish writer Moritz Steinschneider invented the term anti-Semitic in 1860. The term would be used to silence all those that dared to expose Jewish crimes. 
because of the predominantly Jewish character of the regime, the very first piece of legislation approved by the communist regime was the Anti-Semitism Act in 1917. Anti-Semitism was made a capital crime, and anti-communist was regarded as an anti-Semite. Leon Trotsky also started using the word racist to browbeat all dissenters of the communist ideology and to render debate impossible. These words are used still to this day to bully any politically incorrect person into silence. Even more now than ever, they're trying to make it punishable to question or criticize their actions by calling it hate speech, fake news, or anti-Semitic. Anti-Semitism is, is used as a great blockade. Um, when somebody's called an anti-Semite, it's usually because they've, they've asked some question or made some comment about Jewish behavior in some way, shape, or form. And because Jews don't want to discuss that behavior, they call you an anti-Semite for daring to question that Jews do anything bad ever. That's really why it is used. Um, anytime you say something about Jews, Zionists, Israel, anything with a tangent to Jews that is in a negative light, you're going to be called an anti-Semite by the Jews because this is the defense mechanism that they use to cover up their crimes and to prevent analysis of the criminal action that has happened, which so very often leads to a Jewish perpetrator. The Jewish philosophy is, it is an excuse to commit crimes. That's all it is. You put all your morals aside and you can do anything. That's the Jewish philosophy. And of course the other part of it for the people who actually are Jewish and following the dictates of the Talmud believe that they are better than everybody else and they act accordingly and we see the horror in the world that is generated by that. You must understand, the leading Bolsheviks who took over Russia were not Russians. They hated Russians. They hated Christians. Driven by ethnic hatred, they tortured and slaughtered millions of Russians without a shred of human remorse. The October Revolution was not what you call in America the Russian Revolution. It was an invasion and conquest over the Russian people. More of my countrymen suffered horrific crimes at the blood-stained hands than any people or nation ever suffered in the entirety of human history. It cannot be understated. Bolshevism was the greatest human slaughter of all time. The fact that most of the world is ignorant of this reality is proof that the global media itself is in the hands of the perpetrators. We cannot state that all Jews are Bolsheviks, but without Jews there would be no Bolshevism. For a Jew, nothing is more insulting than the truth. The blood-matted Jewish terrorists murdered 66 million in Russia from 1918 to 1957. Alexander Solzhenitsyn Nobel Prize-winning novelist, historian, and victim of Jewish Bolshevism. They were taught to be ruthless. It was a virtue to be ruthless to the Goyim. I mean, you can say, okay, it's just cheating them economically, but I mean, that's, that's a form of aggression. 
And you were taught that if you cheated the goyim, you didn't have to feel guilty. And so it's only a step there from taking that to the, uh, you know, to executing the goyim. I've always been a proud sponsor of My Patriot Supply because I know that having survival food is a way to prepare for you and your family in these days ahead. And this month, you can save $200 on their best-selling three-month emergency food supply kit. Over 2,000 calories a day, 21 varieties, up to a 25-year shelf life, tasty breakfasts, lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks, resealable, heavy-duty, four-layer pouches with oxygen absorbers, made in the USA, no MSG added, sealed into six rugged, water-resistant buckets, ships fast, with free shipping included. Before you go buy those Christmas gifts that will give some people a temporary thrill, why not be prepared for you and your family when there's no food or very little in the stores? And we can already see that happening now. Go to preparewiththinkaboutit.com and save $200 on the best-selling three-month emergency food supply kit that you can get your hands on. That's preparewiththinkaboutit.com. 